all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. I hope you've been uh, tracking with me as we've been going through Hebrews chapter 6, which is considered by many the most difficult or most challenging text in all of the Bible. And uh, now I hear it in both mics. I'm here at stereo. uh, But you know what? Like I have told you before, I have studied this text most of my Christian life because of some of the personal challenges I've had and the devil whispering in my ear that you've lost your salvation and all that. So I've really had to hammer through these issues to understand them. Uh, And I didn't want to just pick the side that made me feel more comfortable. I wanted to know the truth. So I hope you don't mind. We're going deep. I'm taking my time going through this text, and we're actually going to have part three to Hebrews chapter six, and we will be blending a little bit more into um, our next uh, our next set of verses, which gets a little bit easier to handle. Father, we give you our time together, and we just admit our need for you. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit has to say to us. Lord, we recognize that there's always things you want to work in our lives. We acknowledge there's always things you want to say, and sometimes we don't hear it. And so, Father, I pray for myself, and I pray for your people, that you'll help us to hear and heed your word, that we might walk in the Spirit, that we may understand the truth of your word and live according to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as always, I want to review so that you guys stay on track with me as we go through Hebrews. I'm calling today's message, Warnings, Promises, and Heart Conditions. And I want to review who the book of Hebrews was written to and why. First of all, who was it written to? It was written to primarily a Jewish community of Christians who were under great persecution and temptation to withdraw, to pull away from Christ in one way or another, either to compromise and have a little bit of Jesus and then go back to the law, or to just totally forsake their commitment to to trusting in Christ and go back to Judaism. And so there was a real struggle going on. And because of this, we see that... uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to, for two reasons, to encourage and to warn. To encourage the believers, knowing you've already got the best you can get. you got Jesus, you got it all. You don't need Jesus plus something else. You don't need something else that's better than Jesus. You need Jesus. And you know our motto at Calvary Chapel Eagle is, it's all about, Jesus. duh. Okay? Now, so, first of all, it's encouragement. But then there's also warnings. Don't turn away from Christ. He's the best you got, and we compare Christ to angels and to Moses and to prophets, all throughout, and there'll be more coming. But it's also, don't turn away. 
and, and the consequences of turning away and what's at stake. And so we've dealt with a lot of that. Uh, so far in Hebrews chapter 6, the first six verses, we've covered the security of the believer because you need to know if you're a believer in Christ, you're secure in him. But also the hopelessness of the apostate. If you turn from Christ, you're not secure in him. Okay? And so we've covered that in the part one and part two. And last week we saw that the scriptures are full of both warnings and promises. I know we want the precious promise thing. You know, we want to put our, our little sticker on a refrigerator or read through our precious promises. Fortune cooker, fortune cookie Christianity, right? But what's the fact is, I think from my study of the scripture, for every promise of security in Christ, you could find a warning not to turn away. And we looked at some of those last week, okay? Uh, so here's, well, I'm going to start out with one of your fill-ins, or the first fill-in on your list here. And by the way, if you're visiting us, these fill-ins and the, the insert sheet in your bulletin is for the small groups that they go into deeper discussion and Q&A and just kind of looking at this in a deeper way. But here's your, your first fill-in. The scriptures always speak to us as if we have a free will and are responsible for our choices and actions. I want to say that again because there's a few words you have to write in there. The scriptures always speak to us as if we have a free will and are responsible for our actions, our choices and actions. And will suffer consequences or blessings. Those are your next two words. Consequences or blessings accordingly. I was talking to somebody recently, and we're talking about Calvinism versus Arminianism, and what do you do with that? And, and the brother said to me, you know what? To me, what keeps me where I'm at is everywhere in, Bible, in the Bible, everywhere I read, it's talking to me as if I have a free will. It's talking to me as if I better choose right, and there's consequences for my choices, or there's blessings for my choices. And I says, nailed it. That's exactly right. Now, am I a Calvinist or Arminian? No. I, I'm... I'm a biblicist. I just believe what the scripture says, and I think we need to be careful. I've known people who marry themselves to a theology, one side or the other, and they're committed. And because of it, they put on that colored glasses, and they're going to read the scriptures through that lens, and they will see everything according to their favorite theologian. I don't want to do that. I want to take the scriptures, even when they seem threatening or disruptive of my theology, and I want to take it as is. So here's some of the things we've covered already. I want to make sure that you got it. Number one, don't throw away or disagree with any text of scripture. It's all true. We tend to go, that can't be true because this is true over there. It's all true, okay? All scripture is true. It's all to be taken seriously. Uh, our, our duty is to come to an understanding of the Bible where we understand how both sides harmonize. They don't contradict each other. And we embrace both the warnings and the promises. Don't be afraid of the warnings. Just obey the warning. You just react accordingly, right? Okay. So uh, another principle, and we covered this, but I want to make sure you get it. When dealing with seemingly conflicting or con contradicting texts of Scripture, I think this might have been a fill-in last week. Number one, all Scripture is true. Number two, our concepts and interpretations are often false. Number three, our duty to find a solution, or our duty is to find a solution, where seemingly conflicting texts are both correct. If you have a conflict and look at any text of Scripture and go, ooh, that's challenging, then you haven't found the balance yet. Because I really feel like it, when you find the balance of Scripture, you don't find any text like, ooh, that's challenging. No, this is true, and 
this is true. Uh, so they're both correct, and they relate together in a sensible way, and that's where we've got to come as Christians. Now, why do so many people have problems with Hebrews 6? Hopefully you've turned there by now, Hebrews chapter 6. Well, if you've been with us, or even if you're just visiting us, I'm going to read it to you, and you'll see right away what the problem is, what the challenge is. Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put them to open shame. Again, I'll tell you, if this troubles you, you're not alone. Many, many theologians say this is the most challenging and troubling text in all Scripture. Personally, not that I'm any better than the theologians, but I've wrestled with it so much, I'm not troubled by it, I understand it. First of all, I'm not troubled because I have no intention of turning away from the Lord, okay? I have a full intention of finishing my race with Jesus. But what's the trouble is, you've seen it, uh, the first couple of verses seem to clearly describe a Christian. And verse 6 actually says, if they fall away. And there's all kinds of people explaining away that doesn't really mean what it says. It means what it says. We've covered it last week and the week before. By the way, the part... One and two. Part one was the security of the believer. Part two was the the hopelessness of the apostate. And today we're looking at conditions of the heart, warnings and promises. So, uh, but it, it warns about against falling away. And there's actually a place, according to verse six, that it's impossible to renew them. There's people who they're at a place so hardened, so fallen away from the Lord that they're at a place where the scriptures say it's impossible to bring them back. And remember. I, I found a sticker and I put it up last week of people wearing, not stickers, pins. They had a picture of somebody throwing the cross in the trash can. Throwing away the cross. The cross in the can. If that's you, then that's Hebrews 6 talking about you. If that's not you, it's not you. Relax. And people go, yeah, but Pastor Mike, can a Christian lose his salvation? Absolutely not. Can a Christian turn away from Christ and reject the gospel message and suffer the consequences? The scriptures make clear he can. So you can't just lose it like, oops, I lost my keys. Can you throw away your keys into the abyss? Yeah, but don't do it. Okay? So anyway, that's what we've been learning so far. Now what I want to talk about before we get into the next couple of verses is I've been studying this long enough that I've, I've heard people come up with brilliant counters against Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, what it plainly says. They have a verse that says, well, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 can't mean what it says because of this text. So I'm going to just take two of those texts that I think are powerful texts. And I, don't, I don't think they're incorrect texts. They're right texts, but we've got to understand them correctly. So I'm going to take two of them before we move to the next couple of verses. Can I do that with you? This is an important text. I told Linda, uh, I think it was yesterday, you know, we're wrestling over, uh, we've been on the radio for a while, and what should we put up? And I said, you know what, I want to put this Hebrew studies up on the radio when we're finished, uh, because I'm going where I haven't heard a lot of people go before. I've listened to a lot of my favorite teachers, I've listened to the opposing views, and I feel like some people just, they get nervous, and they just want to go right through it quick, let's get through Hebrews 6. I've gone deep, if you've been with us, you know, and I'm handling things that in a way that I haven't seen other people handle it that way. So I want to, I want to finish this. I want to do it right. I don't want to get up on the radio because people need to hear it because I've studied it enough years that I want to give you the proper 
understanding. Now, here's the thing. One of the verses that people love to use uh, when they say Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 can't mean what you think it means is 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. Let me read it to you. They went out from us, but they were not, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Now, that's just a verse separated. We're going to go in, in context in a moment. But as you can see, on the surface, it sounds like, or what a lot of people say it means, is anybody who leaves the Christian church weren't really Christians. That's what people say it means. I'll show you in a moment why it's clearly not saying that. They went out from us because they really weren't of us. If they were of us, they would have stuck with us. And so those who believe that a Christian can't turn away from the Lord will say, well, they turned away because they weren't really Christians. You get it? Okay, so context is always the key. I've studied this in depth over the years because of this very reason I've told you. Let's look at the context of it. First of all, 1 John was written, you've got to understand the background, it was written by John to refute the false doctrine of the Gnostics. And there, John actually calls them antichrists. Or elsewhere in 1 John, he calls them false apostles. And these false teachers had infiltrated the church and even mingled in among top leadership so that later they're called false apostles. There are people in the leadership up to even calling themselves apostles, but they're false apostles, okay? In the leadership of the church. I know you don't think that could happen. It happened in the early church. It happens today. So John wasn't writing about false or backslidden Christians in general. He was talking about those antichrists, those false teachers who left us, meaning John's writing, left us, church leadership, us, the apostles. They left us. He didn't say, well, they left you because they really weren't of you. Are you tracking with me? He's not writing, anybody who leaves you and, and, and turns away from Christ, they really weren't of you. He's talking about us, the leadership of the, of the church, the apostle. The apostle John says they left us. He didn't say they left you because that's where the real issue is. I hope I'm making this clear. Okay, notice as we look at the context now of it and the verse I just read, who the us are and who the they are. I, I underlined them for you so you wouldn't miss them there. Okay, let's put it up on the board, on the uh, screen. First John chapter 2, let's just start one verse earlier, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Stop. Who's he talking about? The antichrists, the false teachers who worked their way into church leadership, and they left church leadership to start their own little cult. They are not of us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Who's, he who's the us? The us is the leadership of the church. He's not talking about anybody who leaves the church. Can you imagine how silly it would be if I said, anybody who leaves Calvary Chapel Eagle isn't really a Christian? Well, that's stupid. There's a lot of good churches out there, right? Well, it says it right there. They left us because they weren't really of us. Well, maybe they weren't in your club. I don't know what you're thinking. But always look at the context. John is talking about us leadership. There's these leaders who went out there and started a cult called Gnosticism. And they left us, the leadership, because they weren't of us the church leadership. He goes on to say, for they, if they had been with us, the church leadership, they would have continued with us, the apostles and the leaders and the church. Do you see? I hope I'm not driving this on the ground too hard. I want you to get this because context is always the key. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. He's not saying you Christians. He's saying us 
apostles, prophets, the t- leaders in the church, they were false, they were antichrists, and they left. So be careful not to throw this around like a bumper sticker that anybody who stops going to church, they weren't really Christians. Understand the context of this, okay? Now, f- there's false apostate teachers leaving the church leadership. But when it comes to why people leave the faith, you've got to understand there's more than one answer. There's a variety of other things to consider. Some of them, like 1 John says, they were antichrists. They were false teachers, like we just looked at. Some, as it says in 2 Peter 2.1 that we looked at last week, they're denying the Lord that bought them. That's not a non-Christian. That's a Christian. Okay, Again, jot that down. Look it up later. We looked at it last week, 2 Peter 2.1. Others... There's more than one answer. There's lots and lots of answers. Some leave the, leave the Lord because they're just religious people playing with power. Have you heard Jesus speaking in, in John, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, not everyone who says to me, in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. Some are religious people playing with power, even maybe in some kind of church leadership, casting out demons, doing hocus pocus. There's a lot of false things out there. You've seen it. And if you've been around any length of time. And, but a key is at the end of this, the last part of it, I never knew you. He, they didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there's a group of people who are religious, but they're living in sin. They don't have a relationship with God, but they're power hungry and they're playing religion. Okay? That's another answer. Don't ever put everybody in the same category. Okay? So regarding those who walk away from the faith... There's not just one explanation. Uh, Not all who walk away fit into Hebrews 6 because some were never really Christians at all. Some are backslid and may come back. Hopefully we'll look at bringing them back. Matter of fact, we looked at James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 that says, man, if they fall away, if if they wander off, bring them back and you save a soul from death. James 5, 19 and 20. Remember we covered that last week, okay? So some are backslid. You want to bring them back. Some are real Christians who fall away but they got caught up in cults or false beliefs or atheism. Now, I'm just curious. I didn't plan on doing this, but how many of you guys know a true Christian who got pulled away by a cult or a false religion or atheism? Do you know anybody like that? Put your hand up. It's, okay? It happens. It happens. There's, there's maybe half a dozen hands that went up here. It happens. And I would never say, well, they were really Christian. You know, be careful. There's, a lot, there's more than just one answer. Don't give a bumper sticker answer to any of this, okay? So, now let's look at another <clears throat> um, great security text. We closed with this last week. Uh, a security verse that I love, but people take it and they spin it maybe too far. Let's look at uh, John chapter 6, verse 39. We, we closed with this last week. This is the will of the Father who sent me, Jesus is speaking, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing. Oh, I could count on Jesus. Huh? If God's will is that he loses none of his, I, I feel safe. But I should raise them up in the last day, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise them up in the last day. I like that. And we talked about it when I covered the first session of, of uh, the security of the believer. Believe me, if you're a believer, 
you, there's great security for you, okay? Powerful truth. Jesus loses none, okay? But what do you say about somebody who you know, to the best of your knowledge, you know they were a Christian, but now they're not? Did Jesus fail? Okay, you may not like the explanation I'm going to give you, but I'm giving you scripture, okay? So here, here's the thing. When, when I give you Bible, don't fight, don't fight the Bible. I know sometimes things, the Bible goes against your theology. I told you a real key. When the Bible goes against your theology, change your theology. Okay? So, um, what happens is, if somebody, you're pretty sure they're a Christian, and now they're not, there was a pruning process that took place, and Jesus didn't lose anybody. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this last night. Sometimes I, before I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about all the stuff. Oh, I got to cover this this morning. What am I going to say? You know what? He promised never to leave you nor forsake you. But he didn't promise you'll never leave or forsake him. You know Christians who are either backslidden or turned away. And we're, we're praying for those backslidden that they come back. But listen. John 15. We looked at this a little bit last week. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The father is doing the pruning. Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus loses no one. But by the way, we also looked at this in depth. The only way you're not going to bear fruit is if you don't abide in him. Abiding, and another way to translate, in the NIV translate, abiding is remaining. Remain with Christ. Walk in him. Remain with him. If you don't walk with him, you don't remain with him, you're not going to bear fruit. And then you get pruned if you don't bear fruit. Now, let me read it again. I'm the true vine, Jesus said. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch in me. Oh, that's not real Christian. Every branch in me. How else do you take that? Okay? You could spin it however you want if that doesn't make you comfortable, but I exhort you to follow what the scriptures say. He also goes on to say, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, but every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear, bear more fruit. There's times the Father has to cut things out of my life. There's times I've been flat on my back, sick or dealing with stuff because he's trying to deal with me. He knows how to prune you, okay? He knows where to cut and he knows where to prune. <clears throat> There's two different things, by the way. One's cut to take away and one's cut to prune to make you bear more fruit. Praise the Lord that he doesn't just throw you all away, right? He stays with us. He loves you with an everlasting love. He wants you to make it. The only way you're not going to bear fruit is if you refuse to remain in Christ, you turn away from Christ. That's the danger all, that the book of, book of Hebrews is all about. Stay with Christ. Don't turn away from Christ. Okay. Now, let's keep reading this chapter 15 in context, and then we'll finish our text in Hebrews. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the vine, and I'm reading John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, or like I said, the NIV says remains, because that's the definition of abiding. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you could do nothing. If anyone does not abide or remain in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. What's that mean? It means what it says. And they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Now, again, Christian, I'm not here to make you scared. But I am committed as a pastor to teach the truth of the word, whether it's popular or not, whether I'm going to get people upset at me or not. I'm in Hebrews 6, brothers and sisters, and I'm going to teach it as it is. 
So I'm committed. I'm going to hold course and speak. So here's your next fill-in. You've been waiting for that. You've been waiting for my, uh, to know what that says. That when interpreting a difficult passage of text, uh, uh, excuse me, a difficult passage, seek to be true to the text rather than true to your theology or your theological bent, however you want to write it, okay? When I read the Bible, I want to find out what the Bible says and be true to the text rather than, well, that can't mean what it says because Arminius said that or Calvin says this or Luther says this or Augustine says that and so Spurgeon says, so it can't mean what, it means what it says and it says what it means and if, if it goes against your theology, change your theology or sometimes just adjust Adjustments need to be made, okay? So, be true to the text, not your theology or your theological bent. Now, I like what Spurgeon did say, even though he, he was a, a fairly committed Calvinist and accepted certain times. And this is what he said about Hebrews 6. Spurgeon says, We had better far be inconsistent with ourselves than with the inspired word. I've been called an Arminian Calvinist or a Calvinist Arminian, and I'm quite content so as long as I keep close to my Bible. I like that. Because you know what? I don't want to be known as a Calvinist or an Arminian. I want to be known as a Christian. Someone who just embraces the Word of God. So that's my commitment to you guys. And I believe in the security of the believer. But I also believe in the danger of turning away from Christ because it's all there. If you're trusting in Christ, there's much assurance for you. If you reject Christ, there's no assurance for you. And by the way, I remind you, it has nothing to do with behavior it has nothing to do with, with performance. It's not a works thing. We're saved by grace through faith. If somebody comes to the point in life where they no longer believe in Christ, then I, I can't say they're saved by grace through faith. Okay? But if you're, if you're a Christian who's struggling with sin, oh, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you of unrighteousness. There's always hope for someone who confess their sin. Get back on your feet and just follow him. There's hope. The danger is getting to the place where you no longer believe and rejecting Christ. And we talked about that when we looked at Hebrews 3, verse 14 through 16. You could look it up again later if you missed it. Hebrews 3, oh, uh, maybe 12 through 16, okay? Uh, where you get to the point where your heart is so hard that you no longer believe. I know people like that, and some of you know people like that. And the danger isn't, well, you didn't perform enough, you didn't work hard enough, you didn't, you, you, whoops, you sinned. How many of you guys have sinned since you've been a Christian? Huh? Right. So it's not about, oops, I've sinned. You confess your sin, you're forgiven. It's about getting to the place where your heart is so hard that you, you no longer believe in Christ. Jesus, He's the resurrection, the we hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.